But this morning as we start talking about worship, making it a little more intentional, we're going we're gonna to address this topic of some assembly required. It's a terrifying, hey, he changed that. We have such good people back there. Early service, it said adult assembly required because I couldn't come up with a good sign. They changed it. These guys are top notch who work here. I want you to know when you come to Valley View, you get the best of video stuff. Some assembly required. If you ever see a box with this on it, don't buy it. Do not purchase this. I can tell you that the worst part, little... I'm, I'm gonna, I don't know what you call this when you start telling the end too fast, but I'm saying Christmas Eve is, uh, Christmas Eve's past are times of great fear, frustration, and anger because of these words, some assembly required. I told you once about Melissa giving me an anniversary gift of a new grill, some assembly required. Assembly is free. The place you buy it from will purchase it, but she could not get it in time for the anniversary all assembled, so she thought, that's okay, he can assemble it himself. That became one of the things that would have gone on the divorce decree had that happened the next day or two. And I said to her, don't ever buy me a gift that says some assembly required because by definition that is no longer a gift. You now have to work for it and it ain't worth it. So get, you know, buy a car, I don't wanna put one together. So notice, some assembly required. When you Decide to give your life to God and really seriously live the Christian life. Can I tell you, when you bow your knee to King Jesus and say, I'm giving my allegiance to him, your Christian life comes with this label on it. Some assembly is required. For some reason, in the Christian world, people kind of minimize this. It's like there are some who dread the assembly. I guess like I dread putting something together like this. They don't want to have to do this. They balk at the idea that any kind of assembly would be required for their faith to grow. They come up with all sorts of arguments why assembly is like this optional appendix that you can choose to, to do or not. It's not really that significant. You can worship at home. I feel closer to God in my own world. I see no need to give effort to join with other people at designated times. It's messy and it's inconvenient. Even my favorite country artist, we're talking old country here, for those of you who are college, you probably never heard of this guy or not. Don Williams sings a song and one of his lines, and I sing it, but I don't like it. He says, I don't believe that heaven waits only for those who congregate, and it's like, Okay, he doesn't like the idea that congregating's important. But can I tell you, as much as I love him and love country, country songs are not the source of authority for Christian people. You know that, right? No song on the radio and nothing in culture like that is the source of our authority. And, and, and we even went really hard. Listen, a year and a half, two years ago, we really stressed it hard that you can stay at home and worship and we can bring worship into your home by streaming. And it's okay, you don't need to feel guilty about that. But lots of people not only didn't feel guilty about that, but they got that message better than they ever got the assembly message earlier. And it became too easy. Now, both of those are true. It's true, you don't have to be here if there's something preventing you from being here, something that, that, that made, it un, unable, made you unable to get here to, safely. But listen, be very careful about this because 
Christian life, if you really walk the Christian walk and really give your allegiance to God, there's going to be some assembly that is required. It's just part of it. Let's say to college people away from home for the first time, it's like it'd be so easy to cut out the assembly part, and I get it, and sometimes it even seems like there's a disconnect. I live all my life like this, and then I come up the hill, and I hear stuff I don't hear anywhere else, and we do things I wouldn't do anywhere else, and it seems oddly irrelevant. Can I tell you something? Your faith, by definition, will always be oddly irrelevant to a lost world. But it's very important. It's critical that you hang on to it, and that's why assembly is so very important. I'm going to break this down a little bit. So, first of all, some assembly required means there's some times where the entire believing community needs to assemble together. There are times when we do need to get ready and make our way up here and drive up the hill, several cars parking in a parking lot and gathering here together. All the people who call themselves Valley View Church of Christ, the church on the hill, need to gather together and contribute their voice to all the other voices and together to worship the God who made us. On the first day of the week, God says, that's what I want. That's what he shows us in Scripture. It will require the inconvenience of showing up at an inconvenient time. But listen, listen, you, you guys this morning, right now, have nothing to complain about. I was here at 7.45 with another group of weirdos who decided that's the time they want to meet. You got nothing on them. It's 10 o'clock, y'all. Half the day's gone. But can I tell you, there's a whole other body of people that met at 745. A bunch of nutheads met here earlier for this. That was a real inconvenient time. What, what is the, what's the deal with God's inconvenience time? Can I tell you, okay, from the very beginning, when our, our brothers and sisters in, in, in the church, before the church, Back in the Old Testament, there was, a, there was a command number four in the top ten. You remember the top ten list, Ten Commandments? Number four said, you will honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. From the very beginning, God said, I want you to carve out time for me. I'm going to set the time all day Saturday. You block it off. You put a circle around it. You block it in. You don't plan any. I want you resting, and then I want you assembling to worship me. I want Saturday. I want one day out of seven, the day I rested, the day I brought you up out of Egypt. I want that day to be mine. And can I tell you that very early in the Jewish faith, they didn't like it. They had people who really resented it. You had one guy picking up sticks because he, and it was blatant. It wasn't like he just didn't know. He knew, and he said, I don't like it. And so he started picking up sticks, and they stoned him to death. How serious is God about his time? But when you get to the prophets, the prophets stand up and say, I'm watching you guys on Sabbath. I see what you're doing. You're watching the rest of the world do their business, and you think, we're falling behind. We'd really like to be out there. We really, and that you end Sabbath a little early, or even worse, he says, when you gather your stuff together and you're sitting out there, when's the Sabbath over? The minute that it's over, I'm going to run out of here because I resent that day. And there's people who do this today. They resent God asking to give him some specific communal time. It will require interaction with other people too. 
Some people are social and extroverted, and for you, this is like jazzing you up. You get to talk to people and see people. I am not that. I'm an introvert, and when I'm going to go into a crowd, I've got to mentally prepare myself for it. You may think you're exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating, I promise you. And there's people like me in here, a few of you anyway. Extroverted, introverted, you, you, you get your energy from being mostly alone in small groups. And so coming up here is not exactly something that th- thrills your soul necessarily. Because the crowd, what's, why is that such a big deal to God that he wants us all together? Just a little bit, not all the time, just a little bit, once a week, right? He wants us to, what's the deal about the crowd? And I, and I used to say, well, I don't know. And really it doesn't matter whether we know why or not. It's just that he does. But the older I get, I'm beginning to see, you know what? There are times when you want to see the entire family together, isn't there? It's a time where you really want to say, I want them together. And in my family, it was really weird. My grandfather was a good enough, strong enough influence that the family wanted to get together, all together around him. And when he died, you never could get them together again like that. It's kind of strange. Why is that? There just wasn't a strong enough compulsion. Is there a strong enough compulsion for you? When God says, I'm going to be here on Sunday morning in a special way, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, when you gather together in Jesus' name, there is the power of the Lord in your presence. There is something different as you meet here together that you can't get at home. You can't. And God wants to give it to you, and he wants to bless, and he wants to see all his children together. And listen, I know, I used to think family reunions are goofy things, you know. And, and you know what the, the, the old-timers would do? They'd look around, and yeah, they'd see who was there, but they'd count who wasn't. It's like, it's just not quite right without so-and-so and so-and-so. God knows when you're not here with the family. And do you know it's not because he wants to inconvenience you and annoy you. It's because he wants the family together and to hear the praise of a united voice as one from the community. God wants this. He longs for it. But why, you say? Well, I I think Hebrews chapter 10 that was read a few moments ago, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 10, reveals two or three of these, these things. Three servings of lettuce is what we could call this. People used to say that all the time. And we're going to look at this. And all of them are contingent on assembling. I want you all together to do this. And so you'll see that stress throughout. But therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, Hebrews 10 verse 19, confidence. Therefore, since Jesus has done everything that's required to enable you, not everybody could ever come into the presence of God like we can. Old Testament people couldn't come into the presence like we can. They had to bring an animal. They had to bring all this other stuff to make it possible. You don't have to bring an animal. There's already been a sacrifice made for you at great cost to God to to give you the right to come into his presence. And then, when you've got it, you choose to avoid it. Crazy, isn't it? Why would anybody do that? So we begin in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, here's the first serving of lettuce, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. God has gone to great cost and great effort, (coughs) excuse, 
excuse me, to make you capable of coming into his presence. And then he says, draw near to me. Here's the first reason why he wants you here. Because God said so. I'm here and I'm asking you to draw near and I've gone to great cost to make it possible for you to be here without great effort of your own because I want you here. This is not a real sexy reason, I know. But God has invited us. Who in their right mind, when the creator of the universe offered his son to make it possible for you to enter his presence, says, I'm gonna be here every Sunday and I want you to come and be my guest who in their right mind would say, yeah, do I have to? Why would you do that? So the first thing he says, I just want you together. Now notice the second serving of lettuce. It, be it begin begins in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In assembly, our truths, the truths of God sink in a little more deeply than they do privately. I do not want this misunderstood. I'm not saying it's more right because there's more people who hold it because we don't want a numbers count. But can I tell you, I grew up in a small church, Fredericktown, Missouri, 40 people maybe. They were mostly older. The youth group was me and two others, right? And we would talk about the faith and then I'd go to school. Nobody else believed that. Nobody else believed it. And, and we were just, kind of, and so the small group of people held this truth and I, I believed it and it was true and it was important and the most important people of my life believed it but the rest of the world didn't and I thought what's, what's this like and then I moved down to Paragould to go to Curley's Ridge College and suddenly there's several churches several of them huge went to 7th and Muller for the first time 1990 and there were 650 people singing the same songs that we sang back home Suddenly, it wasn't just a small group, an oasis of people in the middle. No, there were hundreds of people who believed this truth. We weren't the only ones. It's wider than this. And so some of you, I think of our college people, some of you come from small churches and you come to this one. Listen, I want you to come together and I want you to realize this group of people believes what we're saying. Do you believe this, church? That amen needs to be heard because I wanted to know it's not just me and I'm not, they're, they're going to go to class at ASU, you know this, and they're going to go to class with other people who don't give any consideration whatsoever to our faith. How's that going to be offset? They come together on Sunday morning and they say a group of people willing to stop their lives, come together, sing the same words and say amen to the same message from the same Bible they read from and they're going to know I'm not the only one and you need to know it it drives it in and you hold on to that a little bit stronger because you really I can say this sitting on my couch in my pajamas with my two kids but there's something about going to the trouble every Sunday of our lives and gathering with other people saying we will reorient our lives to this truth we believe it that much Suddenly your kids say there's more substance to this than I thought. And the third serving of lettuce is, I hate putting it that way, let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some are, but encouraging one another. The reason he wants us together because you need to see my eyes and I need to see your eyes. I need to see your face. 
I need to shake your hand or wave or fist bump or whatever you do. I need the encouragement from people. I need the accountability of saying this stuff out loud. I need to know that you come together and there's certain parts of our Christian faith. The only way to be faithful is he says it has to involve one another love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens. And I can tell you, you can do some of this by text, you can do some of this by cards, you can do some of this by email and telephone. But there's some one anotherness that can only be done when you're togetherness, when you're actually seeing each other and giving each other the encouragement that you need. And I will only know about some of your needs because I talk to you in person or I see you or the announcement is made and suddenly I realize there's a need in the community and I can go straight up to you and show you the look of God's concern by looking at the face of God's people's concern. And it must be visible and seen and touchable. You can't get that on Zoom. You can't. This is why he says there's just some assembly required. But I want to look at the phrase another way. It's not just that there's some times when we all need to gather, but listen, there's some assemblies where some of us need to be for closer fellowship. Some in the church need to meet in smaller settings. This is what we missed in COVID with our Bible class. It wasn't that I needed Kelly Phipps's intellect and his brain power on fruit of the spirit. It wasn't that I needed Matt Nix to, you know, hear his voice lull me to sleep or whatever. It's not any of that. Here's why we needed the smaller group of the class that I could look into the eyes of another person. We can have a discussion about this passage and open up our lives to each other. That's our small group. And in the New Testament, there is evidence for this. In Acts chapter 2, right after all these people were converted, their sins were forgiven because they were, they were immersed after their repentance. They got the Holy Spirit given to them as a gift from God, and then they were added to the number. And suddenly there was a huge church of 3,000 people. And then it says they began to meet from house to house. Surely you know, do I have to say this? All 3,000 did not gather in Gary James's living room. And no, Gary James wasn't there, but he was close. I'm saying all 3,000 didn't gather. When they broke out from house to house, it was smaller groups of people. And it says they were talking about the apostles' doctrine, something that Peter preached on Sunday. When they gathered on Tuesday in someone's house, they talked about it more intimately. They were opening, their, opening up their lives. I, I, see a, I, see a, I see in my mind's eye, I see a, a, a married couple new to the faith. They were just baptized days, months ago, maybe, and they're trying to bring their life under the lordship of Christ, and they, they've got something going on in their lives. They're a little confused. What would God have them do? And they really don't know. They can't put their heads together. And so there they are in a small group in someone's house, and they open this up, and they say, here's this issue going on in our lives. We want to know how can we seriously live under the dominion and the kingship of Jesus with this issue in our lives? And the, and the group puts their heads together and they talk about it and they pray about it. That's a heart of the early church. It wasn't the only time. Priscilla and Aquila open up their home. The church meets in their home, but they also bring this guy named Apollos into their house. 
He's a very fluent guy, very effective preacher, but he is a little unclear as to the gospel clarity. And so they bring him into their home and they teach him the way of the Lord more perfectly. And he goes out and becomes this powerful influence. And then you have this time when Peter and Paul were in the same house and they were enjoying ham sandwiches and and pork chops with their friends. This wasn't the church, y'all. This was a small group in a home. And suddenly some Jews come in from Jerusalem and it messes Peter up because he doesn't know how, how do they take this? And he, does, he makes a mistake right there in that home. And Peter and Paul go right at it in a home, not in front of the church, in the home until they hammer out what's wrong about this. And it would have stayed private except that Paul put it in Galatians chapter 2 and now we know all about it. But it happened in a home. And there's this word all throughout the New Testament urging us toward hospitality. I say it that way on purpose because the heart of that word is house, house fatality. We need to be opening up our homes to each other more often. Now, I know we got COVID and all that stuff, but there's, we need to start preparing to have more house fatality, right? We need more of that here where we get to know and bring our lives under the discipleship of Christ. We have some of that. You college people are an amazing group of people. We love having you. In fact, when we sing here sometimes, sometimes everybody quits singing on this side and we just listen to you. Nothing wrong with that because you're still teaching one another, but be careful with that. Don't quit singing. I'm just saying it's amazing, but you know how you guys got so tight-knit. I can, it's not a great mystery, and it's not the Holy Spirit falling upon us. It's that you got three or four people, two or three couples who have invited you into their lives, not just over for a while but they've invited you into their lives and then you got you meet together at the Wallace gym and you do stuff and you eat together and you share life and that's why you're so tight and so keep doing it whatever you're keep doing it and we need to Lyndall and Norma Turner had a group like this too you all have a group like this that meets like this everyone there are others that that, that are happening we need some like this because the Christian faith is not just all large assembly, it's some small assembly. That's what the early church shows. And here in about a month or so, within a month or so, you're gonna start hearing some news. The, the, the elders have decided there's wisdom in this and Matt Nix and some others have approached and said, listen, we need to have small groups, smaller places. So one Sunday night a month, you sign up for these and you get to, you meet with a group of people that you sign up with and you meet once a month together in their home and you talk about life and you bring your stuff and you make it more real and you bring it all in and you can't bring that up on Sunday morning. You can't talk about this stuff on Sunday morning, not like this, but you can in a smaller group and we've got to have this. It's coming and I encourage you to take advantage. One more thing about some assembly required. If some assembly is required, there's awful lot of non-assembly required too. The Christian life is mostly lived unassembled. I need to say that because there's too many people who when you, act, what's, when you ask people what's distinct about your family and your Christian family and your Christian walk, well, I go to church every Sunday. Okay, what else? If that is the whole of your Christian walk, your Christian walk is a crawl. Most of our lives are lived outside of here. 
has nothing to do with this. And, and we, don't need, we don't need to be saying, hey, this church needs to do more stuff and get people up here more often. No, no, that's not the way it works. We get up here and we rally ourselves and we encourage ourselves, but then we get out there and we live unassembled. We disassemble ourselves and go out there and live in a lost world. And if your only real Christian mark is meeting up here, you've got a terrible idea of the Christian life. Because the most of it is live faithfully outside. Sometimes, in fact, how you live outside assembly completely nullifies what you do in it. If you live in such a way that you have no sense of Christian identity outside of this, the disobedience of your life is so loud, God can no longer hear your song, your prayer, or your contribution in this assembly. You're sitting in a pew doing worship acts, but they are not worship. God doesn't even hear it. Let me give you an example. Amos chapter 5. Please know about Amos chapter 5. They've done worship perfectly for years and they're still doing it in Amos's day. They are doing the five acts perfectly. Every Saturday morning, they're doing the five acts perfectly. But listen to, listen to Amos. This is God speaking through him. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. You hear what God's saying? I can't stand your assembly. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings, even though you offer me your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not even look upon. I don't hear you. Next, next one. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Quit your singing. Shut your mouth. I can't stand to hear your voice. You hear God saying this? The melody of your harps, I will not listen. We don't have those, obviously. But in the Old Testament, they did. God couldn't hear them. Talk to the hand. I'm not accepting your worship because your life outside of worship is so poor and so incomplete and so unintentionally toward me that I don't even accept your worship. Listen, if you're sitting here and you say, I'm bored. I'm bored and I'm getting nothing out of this. That ain't nothing compared to what God feels. He's listening to your voice saying, I'm bored with you. I can't stand to hear what you're having to say. Don't talk about your boredom. Let's talk about mine. If you feel empty in your worship, you know, I got nothing out of this, don't worry about it. God didn't either. If you're saying my prayer didn't reach above the ceiling, it's because it didn't. Because it's not about you, is it? If your worship is an effort to overlook your lack of faithfulness in every other area of life, it is not accepted by God. And he says, I just assume you leave because I ain't hearing your voice. I'm not listening to your song. Because the truth is, while some assembly is required, faithfulness outside of assembly is every bit as important. Samuel said it too. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey, to live for him in righteousness is better than your songs and your worship. 
and listen to the fat of rams. So here's the, the, the thing about some assembly required. We often look at this and say, there's one hour you spend in worship and all these uh, uh, dozens of hours left. And so we're, we're all out of it. But see, we don't count hours. We weigh them. Which time is more important? When you gather, and we're going to gather around the Lord's Supper here in a moment by invitation of the Lord himself, and you are going to be here, but you're going to bring all of your last week into your mind. And you're going to evaluate your last week in the context of that covenant you're renewing with God at the Lord's Supper table. This is no, this is no ritual. This is a very powerful moment in your life. You bring last week, all of it, every hour of last week, and you, you evaluate it. You examine it. And then you bring all next week in here. You pile up all the hours of this next week and you bring it in here and you start preparing to live the entire week under the covenant you're making in this one hour. So don't count hours, weigh them. What you're doing here is incredibly important. It lays claim to every other moment for the rest of your life. Some assembly required. Those of us who assembled this morning for the purpose of worship, we do so because of one reason. There was a day we bowed our knee and we confessed the name of Jesus with our lips. We were immersed in the waters of baptism and we called Jesus King. And the rest of our life is to be lived in allegiance to him. And that allegiance means that sometimes I'm assembling with the entire group. I don't care how I feel. I don't care how inconvenient it is. I don't care how I feel uncomfortable in crowds. I do not care. He's King Jesus. <laughs> and I often wonder how uncomfortable and inconvenient it was for him to give up heaven to come down here for you to make this possible. So don't go griping about that stuff. But sometimes it will mean that I need to get together with other believers in a more intimate group where I need to hammer out what, looking, what living under Christ's dominion looks like with other believers, and I'll do that. And then there's a whole lot of my time where bowing to King Jesus means I'm not worried about assembling. I just want to honor the assembling's covenant for the rest of every moment of my life. There's never a moment when you're not under the allegiance of King Jesus. Not one. And right now, you're doing what you're called to do, assembled. But here in a moment, you're going to be disassembled. And you're going to go out there into your own life, and you're still under the dominion of King Jesus. Don't think that because you're off the premises that you're outside of his provisions. And live it there too. Some assembly is required, a lot is not, but all of it is our allegiance to the Lord who saved us. So as we gather around the table in a minute, be thinking about those things, and if you've never bowed your knee and used your mouth to confess Jesus as Lord, been immersed in the waters of baptism, and made him king of your life, this is a great moment to do that right before we gather around the table and you'll be ready for that table moment and that covenant renewal. And right now you have the opportunity to do that very thing. If you are a believer under the allegiance of God, please stand. If you're not and you're ready to do so, please come forward as the rest of us stand and sing this song together.